Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. Hey, everybody, the great Malcolm Nance is uh, with us today, his second time joining the podcast. Last time we spoke was in early February of 2020, a just acquitted uh, first time. Donald Trump had told us in Davos that the coronavirus was under control, also the first time. And Malcolm, uh, of course, a career intelligence officer during that conversation, uh, made a very strong case that the president of the United States was a Russian asset. On uh, this one, recorded a couple days ago, Malcolm uh, gives us an update on Russia. You know who you're not going to like after you hear this one? Putin. And also, uh, Malcolm gives us some insight into where we are on the investigation of the boneheads who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Bunch of numbskulls, if you ask me. Malcolm's a little tougher on these nimrods. Over 400 of uh, them have been arrested so far. Oh, boy. I probably shouldn't have done that. Anyway, you can't go wrong with Malcolm Nance. And, of course, the attack on the Capitol was, was a travesty and a tragedy. Uh, for the people who died that day, and the Capitol Police who emerged with permanent physical injuries, and I'm sure some or many psychological, and uh, of course the assault on our democracy, and the people who did that, who stormed the Capitol, uh, believe the election had been stolen, believe these conspiracy theories out there in the expanding right-wing disinformation universe. If Rush Limbaugh was the Big Bang, the disinformation universe has become bigger, darker, and more dangerous. Think uh, anti-vaxxers, think QAnon, think Tucker Carlson. And that's what my YouTube video this week is about. I've started to do these YouTube videos. Uh, this was my third, and uh, they're now uh, up on my YouTube channel, and I hope you check those out and subscribe, would you, uh, to my, my YouTube channels under my name, uh, Al Franken. Boy, I hope you can remember that. Uh, speaking of, uh, of tragedies, uh, even after the welcome verdict in Minneapolis this week, I, I, I just could not celebrate. I hope, I hope this marks a, a new era. But I worry that this was just the exception that proved the rule. Now, not only was this on video, taken by this very brave young woman, the young girl, really, but it captured a slow, deliberate murder. And usually, uh, these things are shootings. And defense attorneys argue, well, this happened in a moment, 
And he was afraid for his life. He thought the candy bar was a gun. And they get off. And I don't know. I don't know. I hope. I hope this is an inflection point. If it is, I hope it's an inflection point in another way. Uh, in the Senate, I took the lead in, in funding crisis intervention training. This came up during the trial. Crisis intervention training, or CIT, is training that teaches cops and corrections officers how to recognize when a situation is fueled by mental health issues. It's, it's a mental health episode or drugs. And to recognize that and to de-escalate, to de-escalate. And properly done, uh, crisis intervention training is, is usually a 40-hour is a course for a cop. And it costs money. Uh, it's, it's a week of uh, a cop getting training. Someone else has to step in and cover for that cop. And, of course, the, someone's training, a skilled person training. I, and I fought successfully for federal funding for police and sheriff's departments uh, around the country to get uh, cops trained uh, with quite a bit of resistance from a, a few Republicans. What I got from the testimony during the trial is that Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis cops are given some CIT training, but not the full 40-hour course. Now, in most cities that do this right, those cops would have called a crisis intervention team in this situation. Uh, you look at the footage of, of the, the cops trying to get George Floyd into the car, which is ridiculous when he said, I, I'm claustrophobic, don't, and he struggles, don't put him in the car. And at that point, they would have seen, they would, if they had any training at all, these, and they should have had, they would have said, okay, let's, we're not going to put you in the car. Let's get out of the car and talk. But they would have called in a crisis intervention team. And these crisis intervention teams have had the full training, and they know what to do. They know how to do And this would not have happened. This works. And this works successfully, and it, it pays for itself. This was the argument I had in the Senate. This pays for itself. In Miami-Dade County, all the cops get crisis intervention training. They have crisis intervention teams. These are a lot of teams. You can call a crisis intervention team. They'll be right there. And the crisis intervention teams are the guys and women who like crisis intervention training. They're the ones who have empathy and they come and they defuse this. And because of that, the number of people they've killed has just fallen, has just dropped. I, I talked to Judge Leifman, who we had on, on this podcast. The, the city of Miami bond rating went way up because they had so few, few deaths at the hands of police. I hope, I hope, I hope there's renewed focus on this. I, I just want to tell you one story about crisis intervention training. So while I was researching this, I went to a suburb of, uh, the twin, in the Twin Cities, uh, Columbia Heights. And so I have a roundtable of cops. And uh, the county attorney says to me, well, the sheriff couldn't be here today, and he apologizes, but he wanted you to know the day after he had finished his week of 
crisis intervention training, he didn't kill a guy he would have killed if he hadn't had the training. So I said, well, okay, can I get a kind of a more garden variety story from somebody? So a policewoman raised her hand. She said, okay, um, I don't know, about three or four months ago, I was out and I heard a woman screaming and I thought it was a domestic uh, dispute or something. And I went over, you know, found her and she was alone. And I asked her what was going on and she kind of ran away and she grabbed a railing and was hanging over a playground. It would have been like a 15 foot drop and she probably wouldn't have killed herself, but she would have gotten really badly hurt and she was threatening to fall. And I started using my training to talk to her. And I learned that she had been sexually abused as a, as a child and that the abuser went away, had left town, and he had just come back. And I talked her off the railing and I said, I think I know where I can get you, I, how I can get you some help. And then a couple weeks ago, I was working a, you know, a street fair and she came up to me and she said, you saved my life. And I said, um, so I, I kind of wanted a garden variety story. And she said, I use this all the time. I use this all the time. We, we had Charles Ramsey, the former police chief from Philadelphia and from uh, Washington, D.C., on, on this podcast a while back. And we talked about police reform. There is a lot of stuff to do. And he talked about bad apples and the bad apples come from bad apple trees. There's a lot to do, but this is part of it. I, uh, I firmly believe. Okay. We got, uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Nance. Um, you'll, you'll hear on, in, in, in the podcast in, in our recording, there's some noise. Malcolm did this from a rest stop on I-95. He was, uh, between, uh, Baltimore <laughs> and, uh, uh, I guess Wilmington uh, at a rest stop. So uh, if you hear some noise, uh, some that's Malcolm at the rest stop. Um, but it's uh, it's a really good one, you know, for a change. The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language. The second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Welcome to Answers, a uh, career counterterrorism intelligence officer for uh, the U.S. government's special operations and intelligence agencies, the author of the 2016 bestseller, The Plot to Hack America, the 2018 bestseller, The Plot to Destroy Democracy, the 2019 bestseller, The Plot to Betray America, and is currently working on uh, The Plot to Write Another Bestseller. How's that going, Malcolm? <laughs> That's actually very true. <laughs> what is the next one? Do we? Do you know? Yeah, it's it's been picked up by St. Martin's last December, and the title is "They Want to Kill Americans: The Armed Militia's Fanatical Terrorist and Deranged Ideology of the Coming Trump Insurgency." Oh, you're talking about the right wing uh, those people? Yeah, exactly as I predicted on Bill Maher's show on November sixth. That we were headed into an insurgency. So you predicted uh, January 6th. Well, we saw it coming. It was pretty easy to call. Yeah, you seem to call these things. You did that, uh, actually, uh, you called the Russian, the, the the first one I mentioned, the plot to hack America. You called right. that uh, before the 16 election, and we didn't know about it till after. Yeah, well, that was a pretty easy call also. And this is where... I, I get into trouble with journalists and uh, why for years, even people and in, in, in channels that I was associated with uh, were calling this stuff conspiracy theory because the news media is not the intelligence community. And when I see something, I see it through completely different eyes than a journalist. I see it through decades I hope so. of intelligence collection. Yeah. And I can see patterns where they cannot. I see operations that they would never have been exposed to unless somebody really dropped the ball like Snowden, right? And just told you everything. But even with that information, you don't know how the bread is made. You don't know how the waves work. And so the, you know, the Russian operation, I immediately saw as a Russian intelligence operation, it had all the hallmarks of these old Soviet information warfare operations moving at the speed of a keystroke. And so the Mueller report validated it just just recently. We had it validated again by the Treasury Department. But, you know, that's why you have spies. I've heard a couple people say, well, it's finally been established <laughs> that uh, the Trump's colluded. And I'm uh, and I'm thinking like, what? <laughs> Baloney. I, we knew that they colluded. And, and it was like the Biden intelligence uh, intelligence people put out that Kalimnik definitely passed on the polling data right. uh, to to Russian intelligence. Of course he did. Of course he did. Why Why else would he, you give the internal polling data yeah. to, uh, to Kalimnik? And again, you know, the people who carry out these operations are intelligence professionals and information warfare professionals who understand the meaning of disinformation and the difference between that and misinformation. And they know how to handle this stuff. And they understood the American news media was malleable, right? You could shape them like Play-Doh. And so I remember the very first instant that I heard that the Democratic National Committee was hacked and by ATP 29, Advanced Persistent Threat 28 and 29, Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear. And my immediate automatic thought was, 
This is an intelligence operation. They have executed Watergate. They are doing it in the modern world. It has to be to benefit Donald Trump. And they are trying to take down the Democratic Party establishment or split it in two. Well, uh, about 10 days ago, uh, the Biden administration announced uh, punitive measures against Russia and uh, specifically highlighted Russia's meddling in both the 2016 and and 20 elections. And of course, uh, the the hacking of, of solar winds. Look, I have been a big advocate for years now that we had to punish Russia. Not just, you know, make them feel a little upset about it. Why wouldn't Trump punish them? I don't get that. I mean, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me, Malcolm. I mean, he had every reason to with uh, solar winds. I mean, why didn't he? He was out of I don't get it. He had a personal vested interest. He saw Vladimir Putin as an ally. Oh, yes. I forgot that. I forgot that. You told us that the last time you were on. You said, in fact, that he was an asset of theirs. That's why. That's why. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Again, as the narrative is being pushed, the people who are opposed to this narrative, who have a vested interest in it, Trump and the rest, they will push back and the media will accept that pushback as legitimate as opposed to a circumstance where they should be panicking because the United States is under attack. So now you have the Biden administration validating it, and you have the news media saying, oh my God, it's a fact. Well, they literally had all the facts, but the way the system is worked is that they have to have it come from a credible source. When it came from Trump saying none of it happened, the news media dutifully reported none of it happened. Um, I actually got, you know, had an incident with a media organization where I was taken off air at the request of the Trump administration for three weeks because I had reported um, that if what we know is true, what the Mueller report would say is true, then it would be one of the greatest acts of betrayal in American history, maybe equal to Benedict Arnold. But the Trump administration came right out and said, look, you can't pull your top people off, but you need to pull off all of our critics simply because Bill Barr came up and falsely made a statement about what he said you should believe. Two weeks later, the Mueller report comes out, and it, everything Bill Barr said was a lie. It was a lie. Yes. just a straight-up lie. That's why I can't stand it that I've heard from on MSNBC, well, now we know there was collusion. And it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about what are you talking about? That just gives credence to Bill Barr. That just gives credence to all these crazies. You know, Jim Jordan said, oh, see, no collusion because Bill Barr said there was no collusion. There was we there was collusion when they met in the Trump Tower, uh, you know, Jr. and uh, Manafort. But specifically handing over your internal polling to uh, a, a Russian agent who's identified as a Russian agent in Russian the military report. intelligence. Yeah, what Barr did was a, a, a disgrace. But let's, let's talk about what's going on in Russia now. I, I think uh, something that interests anyone who's been watching Russia is is Navalny, right? Uh, who is yeah. in Siberia and on a hunger strike and could die any second. Right. Well, he's since been moved to a hospital today. Um, oh. Yes, he's he's in he's in severe well, condition. That's good. What the Russians are going to do, I think, and this is where Putin is playing a 
brilliant combination of old KGB strategy and a modern political world strategy to speak to the Russian people. He understands Navalny is is far more valuable in, in a gray zone where he's in with criminals, right? And that's how the Soviets would do it. They would put you in prison and sort of disappear you. But in the modern world, they understand that he is pressure and is creating an opposition that they can't deal with. So Putin plays a two-sided game. One action is for the consumption of the people of Russia, who are only 20 years out from Soviet communism, right? And Russia is a very ultra-conservative, hardcore country. So by doing this, he feeds the narrative that this guy is just a Kriminalsky, right? Or a banditi uh, who is an oppositionist controlled by the West that we need to deal with. And my favorite part was when they send Maria Butina, the Russian spy who who infiltrated the NRA in the upper echelons of the Trump campaign to make it clear to the average Russian that Vladimir Putin's agents are in the news media and are confronting this American agent. And she would know because she infiltrated America. It's brilliant theater for Russia. And for the West, he doesn't give two flips. But he also knows we can't let Navalny die. So what do they do now? They pull a Guantanamo Bay. They force feed him. Oh, that's what they're doing. And when, it, when we complain, they're going to say, you did it in Guantanamo. My God. Ugh. Okay, that's bleak. Uh, when did they poison him and how did they poison him? What was it? Some kind of uh, chemical agent, a powder or something? Was that it? Or yeah. No. Well, this is—it's far more virulent. This story. Uh, so they decided a year ago. Uh, Navalny was flying from Siberia back to Moscow, mm-hmm. and while they were there, this intelligence operation was carried out against him, and they dusted his. As we thought for a very long time, because he got sick on an airplane, that they they might have dusted his food or what they always do, which is Vladimir Putin likes to use very specific ancient methods of poisoning, like poisoning your tea, because that is a traditional, centuries-old Russian royalty methodology. And it speaks to the average person to let them know the, the king has put his finger on you to die, Right. That's what it symbolizes to them. They don't shoot people like the old KGB did or throw you out the window, which they do to only low-level people. Boy, the Russians seem to be like in a little different century than we are. Oh, yeah, they're in a completely different century. He's really acting more like, you know, one of the first czars, like Tsar Nicholas I. But they dusted his underwear with Novichok nerve agent. He gets to Germany. How did he get to Germany? It was a charter flight, I believe. And they diverted that flight to get him medical assistance in Germany. Ah, But the beautiful part of this story is they actually interviewed, uh, by punking him, one of the intelligence officers that was on the operation and got him to confess by pretending to be a Russian intelligence officer. They got him to confess his role in it. And the guy says, we didn't know that they were going to take him to Germany. He was supposed to die in midair. And that was the goal. So now Russia has to keep him alive. Oh, boy. That's pretty ugly. Uh, Putin, uh, not my kind of guy, I'll tell you that. 
but you're saying that this plays, all this is playing with the Russian people. Yes, it plays very well with the Russian people because you got to remember, Vladimir Putin is like, he, he's, he's, he's sort of like Trump. He has crafted the entire Russian society around him as this awesome, strong leader. But, in, you know, to the point where he's got this cult of personality, he's going to be in power until he's in his mid-80s now. But at some point, what's going to happen is, I suspect maybe even shortly, that the Russian medical body will make a valiant effort to keep Navalny alive. And then he will die, like on cue, when they are ready for him to die. And they will say, he starved himself to death, whereas the we tried to feed him, we tried to save his life, and even Western medicine didn't save him. Boom. Go away. Vladimir Putin, dictator for life. Well, uh, I mean, look, 40, 45% of Americans have bought Trump. They completely, Putin obviously completely controls the media in in Russia. So it's, I guess that's, it's just not hard to believe, right? And also they have a much, <laughs> they've never had a real democracy there, right? Of course. Never. What, they went from fledgling, corrupt, you know, how do you put it? Ersatz democracy straight back to dictatorship run by a KGB officer who got the corrupt prime minister off from his corruption by using his position as director of Russian intelligence. And he was made prime minister and then was elected president through an act of terrorism that they now believe he orchestrated. So it's, it's, it's going back. This guy is essentially a mafia don with atomic bombs. But it's all about money over there. So long as that money flows, the Russians will be happy. Now, is the money flowing? I mean, they don't have much of an economy, do they? Or, or no, no. What's, what's got the, the size of their economy? Their economy is the size of what comparable? Their economy, economy is the size of Italy. Chile and United Arab Emirates has more trade than Russia has. And with Chile, that's like coffee. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm sure the wealth is very concentrated at, at the top. How are, are the Russian people liking that? Well, you know, you have to remember what Russia was before. <laughs> okay. A country with nothing, zero material. They don't even have pasta like Italy. They don't have no. the red sauce. They don't have the veal. <laughs> they don't have yeah. uh, the tiramisu. In the no. 20 years, I mean, you know, you're talking 1989, 30 years since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Materialism has taken over the country and they have access to materialism. You have access to capitalism. Granted, it's a crony system. Granted, it's an oligarchy where the richest people in the country run the country, but they can't do anything without Vladimir Putin say so. Because every person who did try to do something without Putin say so had all of their assets taken or were, you know, walked out a window. So the Russian people have a good quality of life you know, but it's sort of like China's quality of life. When you leave downtown Beijing, you step back into the 14th century. But it's a 14th century where you have a car. You can get a BMW. You know, Russia is czarist Russia. So let's say you step back into 1830, but it's 1830 where you can get pizza. Uh, it's 1830 where you can get all the clothes that you want. You know, and you can, you can get a BMW. Well, can you? Can you? You can't get a BMW. If they yeah. have the economy of Italy, how many people are in Russia? How many? How many? Well, I, you know, Russia's population, if I'm not mistaken, is 200 million. 
Okay, 200 million people divided by Italy's economy. Not everyone has a BMW. Yeah, but you don't have to. The point is you have aspirations to. There's BMW dealers, and you can go to a dealership. You can get it financed. You, however that money trickles down from the oligarchy to you, it's there, right? It's an opportunity. It's not like you have to drive a Lada anymore, but they still have Ladas, right? <laughs> so... Look, I, the, the gaps in wealth and income in the United States are a sin. We have the economy of the United States. <laughs> we, yeah. You know, uh, this, when you have uh, oligarchs running the system, I would think that the gaps in wealth and income are uh, not any better than, than, than here. There's got to be a whole crap load of people on the bottom who are suffering. No? I don't know if the word is suffering. I mean, they still have their social services system there. The hospital system didn't collapse. You know, they have, they, you know. Oh, they, so they you're saying they have a better system than we do. Is that what you're saying, Malcolm? No, no their system is is a crumbled infrastructure. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that from Malcolm Nance. Negative. Where they have opposition is that Putin has explained to them that, you know, capitalism is a good thing, but, you know, you don't need democracy. And he has made a pretty strong argument, not just there because he's crafted the reality around his own people, but that the West and its democracy is what is still bringing it down. This is a communist strategic objective from when he was a KGB officer. But now, like an evil Bond villain that he is, because that's what he is, right? He's got like flying boats and, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen that apartment building of his or that house in Crimea that looks like something from a Star Trek episode. It's a cash-based system. So it's like Al Capone running the city of Chicago, right? Mother McGee gets her, you know, gets her taste. And so long as they have the opportunity to make money, it's good, right? But he's constantly downgrading Elliot Ness. He has managed to put in a system to where fascism light or oligarchy, Russian oligarchy, looks good because he's now feeding his population like the Soviets did and believing American democracy has failed. And they have the propaganda to do it now. They have the global networks like Russia Today that really speak to them. That's a fine network. Now, you mentioned Crimea, and they annexed Crimea, and uh, right, uh, during uh, when, they, when they invaded uh, Ukraine. So uh, let's talk about Ukraine and uh, our support for them, and that that's a war, right? That's a war. Yeah, Ukraine and the and, and Russia have been at this since 24, well, well before 2014, but 2014 is when they seized the Crimean Peninsula. And they literally just, you know, they did a full-scale Hitler, right? The way Hitler claimed parts of the Czech Republic by saying it was the Sudetenland, and they were there to liberate... Um, you know, the beleaguered Germans who were Czech citizens of German ethnicity. That's precisely what they did. They said there were Russians. You know, the population of Crimea was overwhelmingly Russian. They had a fake referendum and the Russian forces came in to liberate ethnic Russians who were being oppressed by the Ukrainians. And, right? and for, for everyone's geographic uh, sense, uh, Crimea is basically Russia's uh, gateway to the, to the Black Sea. Right. If Russia had left it alone, uh, Ukraine would have had a strategic chokehold on access to the Black Sea from central, you know, from uh, Western Russia. And Russia has always wanted 
it was always under their sphere of influence. Don't forget, they invaded Ukraine, right? They took it under Stalin. And they believe it's ethnically theirs, even though most Ukrainians are Ukrainians. And this is all part and parcel of Putin's trying to reassemble the Soviet Union, only as an oligarchist mafia-run state, right? So, so what are we doing to help uh, Ukraine, and what are the issues there? What, what is where Tony Blinken and uh, right. the president? What are the, what are the issues that they have to be thinking of in terms of, uh, you know, U.S.-made weapons being used in this war? Are they using them? Or is this an issue? It's important for the for the listener to understand that when Russia invaded Ukraine, they also created a fake ethnic Russian army to invade eastern Ukraine and take back entire provinces. And they've been at full scale war uh, since uh, 2014 uh, with these this area called the Donbass region. And it was mm-hmm. supported by the Russian army, full scale open support, Russian air defense. And so Ukraine was outgunned. They were using the same weapons from the Soviet Union. One of the weapons that we offered in support that the Trump admin just stopped dead cold. Um, You know, the Defense Department was sort of working around Trump, trying to get these missiles called Javelin missiles there. And that is the principal U.S. anti-tank missile that's portable by a man. The Javelin is what we would call a deal breaker system. It is a tank killer. You just aim it. You lock it on, you press the little button, missile does everything else. You don't have to guide it. That missile flies and it will kill the best tanks in the Russian inventory. Trump was saying, don't we we don't want to send these javelins because he's on Russia's side. Well, is that what you're basically saying? I don't think Trump ever saw down to that level. Russia in controlling Trump technically saw that anything Russia didn't want. So if Russia said oh, well, you're sending javelins to, you know, to Ukraine. Trump might hear, might have heard that, but it was mainly his staffers. But they were coming into direct conflict with uh, Congress that was authorizing these weapons and Defense Department that because Ukraine wants to be a NATO, Western-oriented country uh, and wanted to oppose Russia's influence, we wanted them there. So a, a, a deal was struck where they got 100 javelin missiles to be used in training only. That's off the table now. They can use those missiles in straight up open combat. And Biden is very, he's is looking towards Russia by pressuring them with Ukraine at perhaps sending a thousand or two more. That means no major invasion of Ukraine w- could, could be affected. Those missiles would literally devastate Russian tank columns. So why wouldn't we do that? Why is it? Why, well, what's because the... it's sensitive. Because then Russia says, well, then we'll just use our artillery and start pounding you and start destroying cities. You know, I mean, you're talking about sending missile systems, which uh, which which really, really. Uh, it's an escalation. It's an escalation. Right. So, you know, if we want to play hardball, we could start saying, OK, well, we're going to send you 500 javelins. But now we're going to sell you Apache attack helicopters, right? Which Russia would just go, which just blow their minds. But I don't know. We're going to wait and see what uh, the Secretary of Defense, uh, who is a big supporter of Ukraine, is is going to do and what he'll propose up to the administration. But right now, it's damage control uh, against what the Trump administration has done, which was essentially make the United States uh, a surrogate nation of Vladimir Putin's Kremlin. 
So now it's like all bets are off. We're purging everything. And, you know, maybe a few thousand javelins fall off a truck in uh, downtown Kiev. <laughs> yeah, be ashamed of that. <laughs> uh, speaking of Ukraine, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, <laughs> I know that the intelligence community uh, confirmed some heretofore unacknowledged information. Did we find anything else out about Giuliani or, or what do you know about Giuliani that maybe we would love to hear? Well, I only know what we all know right now. Okay. Which is Rudy Giuliani, Let's review it, shall we? <laughs> Rudy Giuliani went to Ukraine. This is, where, oh, this is where the Russians are so good at this game. They understand hardball use of intelligence as geopolitical tools. You have to understand Ukraine was the nation where Russia intercepted the phone calls of the Obama ambassador to that country and got her kicked out of the country by, of course, a pro-Moscow government by releasing her phone calls, most of which were relatively innocent also knowing that Western news media would do most of their bidding with these phone calls. Now, this is uh, Maria Yovanovitch, the, uh, the former ambassador Trump fired, uh, who testified against him. Right. And, and they used that pressure politics through media. At the same time, Russian intelligence through the Kremlin and using all of the assets of their, their country understood that using these useful idiots or unwitting slash witting assets like Rudy Giuliani, you could feed them a narrative which demonized their opponents and that Trump and Giuliani would use whatever you said, lie, truth, half truth, they would use it. Putin doesn't do this stuff accidentally. It is a strategy that he creates campaigns to take down nations using all assets of the Russian government. It's literally communist in, in the way that he has control of these narratives. And we're the dopes that will sit there and go, will believe Giuliani, who comes out now, goes back to Ukraine, meets with pro-Moscow politicians who were disgraced, who were kicked out of government, and comes up with a Russian-crafted fantasy that Hunter Biden is really a criminal and that Giuliani gloms onto it and thinks I will destroy Joe Biden two years before the, the election. He did a great job of that, I must say. Yeah. That really oh, that Trump impeached. Crippled but, uh, Biden. But in Trump world, they believe every word of this, even today. Yeah, I mean, uh, Giuliani... I think his, his star has diminished a little bit. I think yeah. uh, I, I kind of he's got to be guilty of a crime somewhere, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Come on. Look, you know, I mean, we can't convict someone just because we want. Oh, come on. He's got to be guilty of a crime. Let's just indict him. But no, no, no. But he's got to be guilty of a crime, right? One of my favorite <laughs> tweets. And I, I don't know who wrote it. I'm sure it's in my timeline. Somebody tweeted this on the day after the election was called. And this was the whole length of the tweet. It said, now it's all going to come out. And where it's going to really start coming out, because, you know, we're, we, you know, we're the liberals, progressive Democrats, they want to do it right. So where it's going to really come out is all those inspector generals that were fired 
at State Department, Defense Department, all these little agencies where they had replaced them with literally with political commissars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're being filled again, those jobs. And, you know, all it takes is every every senior manager that was a careerist to walk into your office and go, hey, over the last four years, I saw this guy pocketing money. Hey, over the last four years, these six people were hired to be political commissars. And every one of these is going to turn into an investigation. And it's all going to come out. And then we're going to see who are the guys that were actually grifting, uh, you know, it might be, I don't know. I'm just projecting here. You know how we never heard anything from Ben Carson, Elaine Chow, and uh, what's her name? Uh, the the DeVos. Secretary of Education, DeVos. Now, everyone's coming to drop a dime on those people. And I, think, you know, I actually think DeVos was a completely ignorant about education and an ideologue and but i knew that but i mean i think she was i don't think she was corrupt in the sense that that family is are billionaires i don't think she needed to line her pocket at all i think she is just she's like a uh the purpose of education is to get kids to accept christ i think that's that and that's what she was doing i don't think she was corruption is not just money right corruption is a piece of power Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, in terms of like, for example, uh, these uh, private colleges who ripped off kids, they completely forgave them. That's true. That's true. They know how to pocket money, right? They know how to make bank. So don't tell me, (laughs) you know, I mean, you know, it's like, oh, a million dollar donation here or a million, you know, $10 million to the Trump reelection campaign. We don't know where that money's going to shake out. But like I said, the tweet said, it's all going to come out now. And they're going to deny everything. It'll be irrefutable proof. But that's the beauty of how they abuse power. Okay, uh, we, we, have to, we have to break for a commercial. And uh, here it is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now, now, speaking of investigations, it doesn't look like Congress is actually going to do what it should do, which is an investigation of January 6th. Yeah, I was discussing that today um, with some friends. Uh, well, pretend I'm a friend. I've been testified. I've been called to testify <laughs> twice on the Hill about the January 6th situation and the coming threats in right wing extremism. I've spoken to very senior members of the House of Representatives, you know, including very uh, people in the leadership. 
there will be an investigation of January 6th. The commission is not going to be bipartisan the way they want it because the Republicans, look, these people voted to support the overthrow of democracy. They voted. They went on the record for that. So, you know, Nancy Pelosi is going to have to pull out a bipartisan group that the Trumpists will not appreciate. I personally recommend to her, uh, I hope she or her senior staff hears it, it needs to be led by Colin Powell. Now, granted, Colin Powell is a conservative Republican, but now, as far as the Trump people are concerned, he is a hardcore left-wing liberal communist. But to the average American, he is a fair arbiter. And if she really wants to upset the Republicans, go ask Lynn Cheney to be on the commission because she might not be in the Republican Party long. Um, And there you can, you know, you can get this broad commission that to the Republicans will not one vote will come for it. But so long as the American public say, hey, these are fair people, they will make sure that there is not another act of rebellion or sedition in the United States. I think it'll get very good support. But don't let anything or anybody in the Republican Party say, well, I'm not going to support that. So we're not going to investigate it. That has to be investigated. Uh, I would like to see how that pans out because mm. it needs to be like the 9-11 report but it, i have the feeling that it this is uh, skins and shirts well you know another thing al is that we've already arrested 401 people as of this morning i don't know what it is this afternoon mm-hmm. but that number may triple when the fbi is finished so we have plenty of time to do what we call the roll the great roll-up right to roll up your opposition to roll up these people who are criminals and to do their prosecutions. And when you've got a boatload of guilty pleas and you've got all the senior leadership and we find out the levels of sedition and even more important, the levels of conspiracy. Were any of these people working with big Trump personalities? Were any of them in communication with Congress people? Or what level did the sedition pan out and then those people get convicted? then you have a basis to have a political inquiry. We should definitely have ethics investigations of those in Congress who led this, who led the effort to overturn the election, which is Cruz and Hawley. I mean, that that's as bad as you can get, is trying to overturn an election. And we we should find out, they should get all their emails, all their staff's emails, all their political emails, and find out who they were in touch with. Because they just kept spreading this disinformation that the election had been stolen over and over right. again. Here's the guy I'm waiting for who has not yet been arrested because uh, he's on the run. It's uh, the right winger, Ali. His name's Ali, A-L-I, Alexander. His real name was Ali al-Rahman Akbar. And he is a right wing Christian conservative. He's, 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 he's a mixed ethnicity. And this guy came out and said, I sat down with Paul Gosar and, and other congressmen, and we organized this rally as the Stop the Steal rally. He was on the Capitol. He was in communications. They had a conference the day before uh, with senior uh, Proud Boys and others. And he is on the run from the FBI right now. He's on the lam, huh? When Ali Alexander is arrested, that's when this story is going to go to a broad level conspiracy. Because, you know, people act differently when they're in prison and they don't get uh, bail. 
and the FBI has now put out massive indictments on you and they bring you into a room and they say, well, you know, we're going to shoot for 30 years in prison. Then you start going, no, I'm protected. You know, who was in this conspiracy with you? That's when people start talking. And that guy is going to have to talk about his meetings with these congressmen. But he thinks he's immune right now. I think it's great that he's on the run and in hiding. Because when they take him down, it's going to be glorious. Being on the run and being and thinking you're immune don't sound like exactly the same thing. I know. You know, one of my favorite parts of government. <laughs> I mean, yeah. One of my favorite parts of government is my favorite law enforcement organization in government is actually the U.S. Marshal Service. Uh-huh. Do you remember, the, you remember the old movie with, with Harrison Ford, sure. The Future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who was a Marshal Service officer, and he and he put it this way. He said, remember the fugitive with Tommy Lee Jones as the head of the Marshal Squad? He goes, yeah. He goes, that's real. That's how we do it. We manhunt. This guy is, I don't know why, but as soon as they get a hint, that's his future. All right? He's going to be Harrison Ford. You ain't going to find the one-armed man when this thing's over with. And an FBI SWAT team is going to rain down on him. And that's when we're going to start finding out how loyal these loyalists really are. Could he be a leggy blonde now and living in <laughs> Idaho? Is that, I mean, is that what you do to escape these guys? I don't know. All I know is, you know, he's still out there. He's on Parler and, and, and Telegram. And who knows what, what his level of complicity is or whether he actually, you know, may actually be in custody. I don't believe so, but. We're going to find out. He's one of those guys that the FBI is working their way up through the second tier conspiracy. Well, wait a minute. Didn't, it wasn't uh, the head of the, the founder of the Proud Boys. It was the founder of the other group. What's the other? The guy they're really looking for who actually in a podcast recently, about two weeks ago, said, I think I'm going to be arrested by the FBI is Stuart Rhodes, the, the leader of the Oath Keepers. Oh, that's it. That's it. The Oath Keepers. I get my white supremacist groups uh, all mixed up all, all the time. He was on Capitol Hill, but he didn't breach the building. But he is part of the broad conspiracy as the leader of that body to bring people in with the intent to do what they did. And they did it with planning, maps, radio channels. There was, a, I, I think, 60 Minutes. I didn't watch the program, but I saw that they were using uh, the this radio app that you can use on your phone. And they had recorded all of the internal radio communications of the Oath Keepers. And it was very wow. well organized. Some of the stuff that I saw was extremely well organized. And it will convict them. Yeah. I, I if, if they have 401 people arrested, <laughs> yeah. I think about 380 are going to talk. I mean, I, I just, you know, there's nothing like uh, you can do uh, this many years or this many years, you know? Right. <laughs> well, I think. You know, I, I, I don't mean, know. Most of those people are low-level people. They will yeah. get very small sentences, maybe weeks or months in jail for viol you know, violating a restricted area. It's pretty clear the FBI is going after the seditionist, the people who have carried out conspiracy. Yeah, but presumably those people will point up and those people will point up and then they'll well, distill it to I don't know who could be involved, but all I know is, is that uh, a particular person named Roger Stone came after me on, um, on the Telegram channel 
recently and called me a naughty, naughty word that begins with the letter C. When I hinted that the Oath Keepers, who surrounded him all day, who was his bodyguard detail, all of the people who have been indicted have all been arrested. Every one of them. So, you know, he organized the Brooks Brothers riot in the year 2000 sure. election. Just when you've been pardoned for uh, everything you did in the past, bam, you do the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, that, uh, yeah. And, and that was my speculation. You know, if, 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 if he's involved, I don't know. I'm just saying a lot of people can be brought on for conspiracy. It's a question about what these tier two people who don't want to go to prison for 10 years... All right, the real conspirators, they're not at, they're not up for that one year sedition thing. They're up for years in prison here. Federal prison. That's going to be interesting. Uh, let me ask you about uh the sanctions against individuals in Russia. Right. I don't totally understand how that works because uh, when I think of sanctions against individuals, I think like how devastating can that be to Russia? It sounds like they're saying that's a big deal. And I'm going like, really? What does it mean? The guy can't travel or the guy, and the guy can't do, his company can't do, won't get contract. What does that mean? What are, what are those, why are those so significant? The, the sanctions that they're levying against individuals are targeted, but they're targeted in such a way as to place pressure around the people that Putin has made favorites. Now, remember, this is like Game of Thrones, Okay. If you are not a favorite of the king or a favorite of the queen, you can't do anything in Russia. These people have become ridiculously rich over there. And I'm not joking. There are oligarchs who have, you know, luxury mega yachts that have elevators that lift other yachts inside it, right? 30, 40, 100 million dollar yachts uh, who fly croissants from Marseille to Moscow every morning from their private bakery so that they have croissants on their table. These are Putin's, uh, how can I put it, not building blocks. They are the, the legs that Putin stands on. And if you make their money radioactive, not just in America, around the world, where you say they cannot bank in banks that do banking with American banks, right? You're going to have to go to mm -hmm. China to launder your money and lose 80% of it. You can keep it in Russia all you want, okay? But you're going to start paying 10 times whatever the price is. And if we get any hint that that's your money, we're going to seize the money of the people that did business with you. Now you start placing pressure where it needs to be. But more importantly, I mean, for four years, and I know I did a Washington Post forum um, where I was came out as hardball. I was like a hardball neocon where I said, we have to go after their money make it radioactive to where you want to buy a BMW, you're not going to spend $100,000. You're not going to spend two fifty. dollars all right? You want a Mercedes McLaren? It's going to cost you $5 million now because your money has to be routed through seven different ways. Granted, oligarchs don't care about that, but you know what they care about? The money that they have and assets they have overseas. This is a building block for what, what's called the Global Magnitsky Act. And that's uh, Bill Browder, uh, the American uh, uh, businessman who was in Russia. His lawyer was named, uh, I believe it's Sergei Magnitsky. And he died in Russian captivity, uh, protecting Bill Browder and his assets in court against Putin. Putin just had the guy killed. Is it, this uh, had something to do with adoptions, right? 
<laughs> it all has to do with adoptions over there. Adopting them dollars. <laughs> the Magnitsky Act is a law which Browder has gotten passed in England, most parts of Europe, where stolen money, money used from the liquidated assets or oligarch crimes is no good and their assets can be seized by your country. Now imagine the United States pushing that worldwide. That's what these these sanctions allow us to build a wall to where we can start punishing every Russian oligarch, every illicit dollar they own. And here's my favorite part. When their boat, when their when their hundred million dollar mega yacht comes through the Black Sea and goes through the Bosphorus Straits and pulls into, you know, Puerto Banu, Spain, which is the, you know, a tiny port of the mega billionaire's yachts. Well, 12 miles offshore, we could seize that and turn that ship into a U.S. Coast Guard asset if this Magnitsky Act is ratified in the United States or goes global. We can seize all their illicit assets, seize their executive jets, the way we did with Pablo Escobar, the way we would do with drug lords and their mini-subs. That's the consequence of this. I think we are building slowly up to that. And they were going to be terrified because now they can lose all every apartment sold by Donald Trump in the United States since <laughs> 2001. We seize it as an illicit asset of a foreign crime. That gives me some perspective on how significant those are. Because every time I hear that, I go, eh, is that, 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 that doesn't sound like you're embargoing their wheat or something. I mean, it doesn't sound like what you normally sanction. Well, he actually said he doesn't want to impact the average Russian citizen. I see. You're right. You don't want to impact the Russian citizen. You want to impact the Roger Stones. You want to impact the Paul Manafort. You want to impact all the intelligence officers. You want to impact, you know, everyone who's associated with Vladimir Putin start making this tight money ring. I am all about the take they money school of business here because the United States, we're good at money. Yep. OK, one last thing or a couple last things uh, about Afghanistan. OK, um, sure. they didn't address the bounties in this latest solar winds punishment uh i mean we didn't hear about it anyway about the russian bounties on our on our soldiers right do you have any insight into that well you know and I, i've been hearing over the last few days and I, and I discussed this with intelligence professionals and this is where civilians don't understand things there was a news article that said that uh that the government had rolled back or had had you know uh, retracted the um, the story about the Russian bounties. Intelligence doesn't work the way that, you know, people see in James Bond films, right? It works on levels of confidence. We have seen real high confidence intelligence about the Russians working with the Taliban and giving them weapons the way we did in the 1980s. There's very high confidence. There is high confidence about the person who we snatched, who had millions of brand new U.S. $100 bills, which were tracked back to agencies related to the Russian government, right? Because we know where our dollars are, okay? We know where all those $100 bills go. But the link to Russia and intelligence was nebulous at best. There was some pushback from other agencies in the U.S. intelligence community. But with all of the other, you know, 
I try to explain this to civilians, is that we see dots, and the news media sees dots as stars in the sky, right? The intelligence community looks for black holes. Where we don't see information, that's where the facts are. And so that little bridge between money man, that special forces, uh, a Delta Force team rolled up with millions of new dollars that's linked back to a foreign power, all of that stuff is the black hole, the last bridge. Because the last bridge is us catching a Russian with boatloads of money going to that guy's house. We're never going to get that unless we're like extremely lucky, right? But eventually we're going to, you know, but that's a lesser story than the fact that Donald Trump walked us out of Afghanistan and we're going to invite the Taliban to Camp David on 9-11 and thus end the Afghan war two years ago. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, Biden followed through with that, of course. I mean, he had a choice and I don't think there are any good decisions there frankly. And, uh, you know, that's all very tragic. Um, so well, we'll see it, it might end up very tragic. Oh, I, 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 for, out of the embassy tragic. and for women. Um, yeah, it's anyway, I, but I, again, I, I don't blame them for that, uh, Biden for that decision. Uh, that's what you get paid the big bucks for yeah. when you're president. It's a tough one. There, there will be an Islamic emirate of Afghanistan soon. Yep, that's you know that that's so predictable. I mean, why wouldn't there be? And uh, so we're back where we were. Well, we we, we did get rid of Al Qaeda, and the problem is now Al Qaeda is gone, but ISIS is there. Yep. So we gotta we have to keep sort of some kind of counterterrorism presence there, right? Right. We need to keep capacity building to make sure that the Afghan army, which is now fighting 80% of its battles. But then again, the Taliban have strategic presence in 50% of that country. And the last time that happened was, I don't know, what year was that? Like 1975 in Vietnam? <laughs> so it, it could end up bad for everybody. Uh, I think that's, that's very predictable. Uh, Malcolm, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for. I, oh, I want to get you out of that rest stop uh, there. <laughs> thank you, Al. Have a safe drive. Right, okay, and bye. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast 
once upon a beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.